0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, June 26th, 2019. Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling, Danny Flecka in his Wednesday spot. Um, You sent me a message today that says, I hate this league, and you're referring to the NBA. So have at it. What's your gripe? I I just think we're we're
1: entering uh, a part of the NBA... Because I would consider the off season to be, you know, the season, like a season um, where we just get multiple reports on stuff. You get, you know, players opting in and out of contracts. You know, there was, uh, you know, up here in Boston, the big story today has been, you know, why has the team become what they've become? And and uh, a lot of reports are coming out that. Uh, maybe it wasn't Kyrie, maybe it was Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward and this and that. So I just think it becomes one of those things with the NBA that the drama involved with the, with the players in the conspiracy theories is a bigger piece of what happens rather than the, the play on the court.
0: Um, I mean, the NBA is a soap opera. It has become a 12-month league. Um, what is your issue are you more of a i just want to you know just sit back watch my basketball and not be concerned with, with 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 the drama is that is this just you wanting to sit down and watch a game and not be concerned about why somebody's whining and crying and crying
1: i, I just I, I just think from an aspect and i might be a little bit old school with this thought it's like if you're not producing results If you're not doing what you you need to do to be better or to make your team better or or whatever it may be, and this comes from all levels, you know, from coaching to GM to player, that the, the response doesn't always have to be, well, you know, my problem was, you know, I didn't get along with my teammates or I didn't, you know, I was this or I was that or I didn't like playing with these people. You know, at what point do you, as a, as a player, coach, or GM, just say, you know, it was, it was my fault, it was, you know, I'm the one that didn't put together the best team, or I'm the one that didn't respond well. I wasn't a leader. I wasn't, you know, making my shots. or didn't show up for the big game. Why well, did it always be well? Yeah, I didn't like I didn't like the, the coach. I didn't like the way I was being talked to. I, I just don't know why all the blame always has to go down to somebody else, and they just deflect, 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 rather than rather and like take their own responsibility for for what's happened.
0: Um, you know, it's interesting. We're and and you and I haven't talked about this, so I'm, I'm literally, folks. We're doing a lot of this on on the seat of our uh, on the fly today. Um. Did you listen to, watch, read, or hear about the Bill Simmons, Adam Silver, um, uh, Sloan, MIT conference um, lecture from, or, or seminar, or whatever you want to call it, keynote address from like back in December or January? I have not, no. Okay. So one of the things about that was Adam Silver was making this point that everybody seems unhappy in the NBA. We've got people griping. You have people asking for trades. You have people whining to the media. Um, Kevin Durant always seems like he's on a, on a, I'm out to get you somebody tour. Now Adam Silver didn't bring that up, but that's uh, partly what um, he was getting at. Is these guys that seem really unhappy, and I just wonder if if this is part of the culture that. I can't stand playing with Brad with um Gordon. He doesn't give me the ball in crunch time. Wow. Instead of uh, Gordon and I actually need to sit down like men and figure out who should get the ball in crunch time. Like I wonder if that's the issue that, that if for if for some reason these players are more prone to whining than actually trying to find a solution to the problem.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the day and age we live in where a, a microphone is in your face every single day. People are asking you for opinions and, and takes, uh, you know, clickbait, you know, Instagram, Twitter. You know, everybody needs, like, the next scoop. So, you know, these players might be agitated and, and lash out. But, again, part of it comes, you know, I'm just going to use Kyrie for an example because he's the one that I followed the most since I'm up here in Boston. When you got traded here two years ago, you knew the situation you were coming into. You had a young team. You had a lot of potential. You had Gordon Hayward, who was healthy, and a coach who a lot of people thought was an up-and-coming coach and could potentially bring this team to the next level. Two years later, we sit here, and it's, uh, you know, I I didn't get you know I, I didn't get along with the young players. I was upset at how much success they had without me. I didn't know my spot on the team. I didn't know um, you know I wasn't a good enough leader. I didn't like that Gordon Hayward was getting minutes. Well, well what is it, Danny? You know why why didn't this team perform at the level that they did last year with less parts?
0: Uh, yes, continue on, Danny. Yeah, so I mean, we we look at uh,
1: at Boston for an example, but then you look at a team like Toronto that has a lot of new pieces this year with Kawhi Leonard coming in. They got rid of uh, DeMar DeRozan, their coach, and they were able to figure it out. So does it at some point become the personality of the player itself and how they gel with teammates, or is it, you know, the coaching, or is it the city, or is it the fans, you know? Where does the blame lie? And for me, it has to go to the player. You know, if you're Kyrie Irving, you want to get out of the shadows of LeBron James. You wanted the opportunity to lead your own team. You were given it on a, on a silver platter. Yeah, things didn't go great last year for you, unfortunately, but this year you had a, a team that uh, had players that were able to experience something that not many players get to do. Uh, you go to the seventh game of the Eastern Conference Finals against, against LeBron James. And if it were me, I would have embraced the situation. I would have taken these players in the next step. I would have learned with them. I would have suffered with them. I would have done all those things. Make sure we achieved the goals that we did. But instead, all you do is, is hear
0: about all the blame that's being tossed around. It's crazy. We're talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. Um, all right. Let's switch gears. You have not... Uh, we were going to say this for the pod. We decided this on Monday. Um, you have not heard what Al Riveron said to the NFL Network and everybody who works for NFL Network people in the rules, in the off-season rules seminar last week, correct? Correct. Okay. This is the problem with the replay rule. And for those of you who have listened, we've talked a lot about replay recently. VAR, the Video Assisted Review in Soccer, and, um, and the new pass interference rule um, in the NFL. Do you remember the Week 15 Thursday night game where Philip Rivers um, had this big comeback? And with 13 seconds to go, they had the ball on the 10 yard line. They threw a touchdown. Uh, sorry, threw a pass to Mike Williams. Kendall Fuller got called for pass interference, and then they got a touchdown. And then the and then the uh, two point conversion. Remember that game from Week 15? I I do. Okay, so. What happens in these rule seminars is that the head of officiating, a ref, whatever it is, brings forth a bunch of plays and just shows this is what we're going to look at this year. So, you know, we're going to try to eliminate shot blocks or we're giving greater, um, greater, um, you know, we're, we're weighing further uh, whether the hold brought the player down versus if they just grabbed a jersey, whatever it may be. This time, because of pass interference, they put up six plays and they were basically saying to all these people, and this is a huge entourage, this is everybody who works for NFL Network, NFL Media, or, or is associated with this, producers, directors of programming, etc. And they said, yes, you know, vote yes if this is pass interference, no if this is not. And obviously the play in the NFC Championship game is pass interference, we all know that. Here's the crazy part about the play against the Chiefs. So to have either a flag thrown or a pass interference call overturn or stand, there must be clear and obvious visual evidence. This is Peter King, by the way. Sorry, this is Rich Eisen substituting for Peter King. Uh, Clear and obvious visual evidence that a foul occurred or that it didn't. And the contact clearly and obviously seen must significantly hinder the player being fouled. On Hail Mary plays... The replay official will not buzz down unless they witness something that goes beyond what they normally see on a Hail Mary. So as Rich Eisen said on in in his uh, Thing here quote it actually might require a Hail Mary prayer to earn a buzz from the booth on a Hail Mary this season Okay back to the week 15 game um, So Here's what happens they go under the hood It's inside of two minutes. They go under the hood to review that if the replay official buzzed down. They did not feel that that there was clear and obvious visual evidence that the pass interference occurred. So that play would stand. However, on the same play, because everything is reviewable when you go under replay, whether you have 12 men on the field, whether you got the playoff in time, whether you know, the, the quarter or half ended before, you know, uh, before the snap, there was also offensive pass interference. They would have retroactively called a pass interference penalty on Mike Williams. Uh, the Chiefs receiver could be seen having made a clear and obvious push off on Fuller, who was significantly hindered. That would have been offsetting penalties and the down would have been replayed with eight seconds left welcome to replay nfl 2019 for pass interference yeah
1: and i think it just goes back to what you and i have marked on it. like if you're slowing down every single play you're going to find something wrong with everything and at what point does it just become a, a watered down version of what it is that we're watching i mean i can watch you know every single pass well there's holding there's pass interference. there's this there's that and if you're now having the opportunity to review everything in slow motion, and frame by frame, you're gonna think f- that maybe the receiver held the jersey of the defender, or vice versa, or, you know, he pushed off, he extended his arms, where, you know, people that had advantages in the past, you know, sly veterans, if you want to call them, now lose that. And here we are, you know, going back, like, well, there's no defense passing appearance, but there's offensive passing interference, so there's a 10-yard penalty. Or we had a defense interference but also shown that there was an offense to the pass interference, so play doesn't count. At what point does it just become enough enough that there's just too much that's going to be looked at and you're losing the flow of the game, you're losing out an opportunities for teams to score or to, to stop other teams. You know, my biggest thing when I watch a game when, when my team is on defense and they're on third down is like, don't bail out the team. Don't bail out the offense by committing a super foul, like a roughing a passer or a passing interference or a holding, as an automatic first down. And I think you're gonna—it's gonna be harder for defenses to get off the field in that situation because everything's gonna be looked at, and there, and
0: you know, games are gonna be flipped on its head. It's fascinating. I, I never thought that offsetting penalties could be an option under this replay rule, but because everything is reviewable. This is now a factor, and the NFL officials know that this is going to make some fans irate. Um, It is something that they're going to have to be very careful for, and the preseason is going to be fascinating because whenever you have a new rule that involves replay, they tend to overdo it on purpose. So we may have replay officials buzzing down in the last two minutes of every single preseason game, which is, A, going to make it hard to watch, but, B, actually could be useful as they try to pin down exactly what they're looking for in this new replay rule. Um, Is there any other NFL-related thing you want to talk about before we move on?
1: Not really. I don't think there's been much news that's really been something out lately. I think it's just we're in a dead period for the NFL until training camp starts up in a couple weeks.
0: yeah. Uh, we're talking to Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. All right. Yankees, Red Sox, in London. Um, I don't think we've talked about this. Uh, what's the vibe in Boston? What's your thoughts on it?
1: Um, I don't really get it, to be honest with you. I don't understand what the, the point is. I, I think it's just kind of a mimic uh, move by the MLB to copy maybe what the NHL has done with You know the outdoor games the nfl is doing in london what uh the nba has been doing recently too and playing games like in europe but i think that there's you know a, a market for those sports to be doing what they're doing you know hockey originates you know on the pond outside you're playing outside it kind of brings you back to being a youth um so i understand the appeal there um the NFL has made it a mission to explain, expand globally and uh, I guess they're doing okay with it I don't know what the, the taste for it really is in Europe but um, they seem to be doing well enough that they keep doing it and the NBA is a, a global sport it is very big in Europe and it's able to capitalize on their, their very marketable starts they have as for baseball uh, I don't what they're trying to do here. I don't know of many baseball players that come from England um, or Ireland or France or Spain or anything like that. If you're going to market to other areas, wouldn't it be like the Caribbean or South America? So I I don't really get what they're doing here.
0: Yeah, that's actually an interesting part of this is that there there are no Europeans um, or, or sorry, very few Europeans who are big names in baseball. Obviously, Yankees, Red Sox don't feature anybody in this category either. The thinking of MLB is they're trying to expand themselves overseas, and the problem has been that what dominates European cities in terms of venues. The soccer stadium. Correct. Playing
1: at Wembley.
0: Correct. They can't hold a baseball field. Finally. We have the London Olympic Stadium that was built for track and field, which has room for legitimate lines. That was the issue. You can fit the confines of a baseball field inside of a soccer pitch in some of these newer stadiums. The problem is you'd have 260 foot outfield walls. This at least will be, I think it's 330 and 360 down the line and 378 to dead center. It's a short dead center, but it's, it's legitimate. And it'll look like a baseball game, um, which is what the holdup has been. They've been trying to do this for 15 years. They've traveled around the world. Baseball is big in Italy. You know this because of the Mike Piazza thing. Um, that's probably the biggest country, yet there's not a place in Italy that they have identified as a good outlet. And they think that bringing Yankee Red Sox, the biggest rivalry in baseball, is... Um, to london can help expand mlb's footprint and you can't overlook the john henry factor and the fact that he is such a big investor in, in uh, liverpool
1: yeah and i just think that baseball is going about it the wrong way um i understand the global appeal i understand the marketing money that comes with it i understand the opportunity to increase your revenues by reaching a new population However, I heard an interesting thing the other day on the radio, I was listening to the baseball show up here, and they were just going over um, demos of the last Red Sox game, whenever that was, either it was Monday night or Tuesday night. And on in the key demographic between 18 and 49-year-olds got them like a 0.9 in, uh, in viewership whereas the demographic for 65-plus was like a 4.7. That's the problem. It's not like finding a stadium that are going to hold them. It's that the issue is domestically no one here gives a crap. No one is watching Red Sox and Yankees in the United States even. So if if the baseball really wanted to increase its visibility and its revenue... And they would focus on ways of appealing to the market here that matters. That is the younger kids and the younger generation. Not go to Europe where people are just going to go there and sit down and not give a crap about what happened.
0: So, what's interesting about that is multiple things. Yes, baseball is an aging sport. Yes, there are people like the like, Zone uh, D A Z N who's hoping that their red zone like whip around, whip around MOB show can attract the younger crowd. It's a streaming service. Yes, baseball has an aging problem and a pace of play problem. Yankee Red Sox games are annually the most watched games for MLB. And ES- sorry, for Fox and ESPN. And that's partially because it's two big markets, partially because it's baseball's biggest rivalry. So it brings in some casuals, but it's also two huge media markets with a ton of population. The hope, and, 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 and yes, baseball has problems here that they've got to fix. But but the hope is, is that they attract a new audience to the game of baseball. Remember, baseball and softball are returning to the Olympics in 2020 as a one-off. It's believed. Um, so this ability to make the game game global and to bring it to new places and to you know give expats what they wanted is appealing. But I get your point that it's an aging sport and. Um, you can find venues somewhere, but it, it, it may not attract a bigger crowd. and that's, that's what I think is fascinating about this. Will, will these are these crowds in the Olympic Stadium going to be made up of baseball fans uh, in, in the UK? Are they going to be made up of casual sports fans? Are they going to be people from America on summer vacation? Like who's the, who's the makeup of this? It's a fascinating thing.
1: Yeah, and I just think, the and baseball's biggest problem, too, is just the time, you know, they play their games at at night,
0: Eastern time, at 7 o'clock in Europe, it's it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Exactly, it's got a harder hill to climb than football does.
1: Yeah, so it's it's just a tough sport, I think, to explain expand globally, and they've done themselves a disservice uh, in a number of different areas that could have allowed them potentially to do this sooner if it was something that was on their agenda. Uh, One of the things they could do is make their videos available on social media. (laughs) You know, that's a a simple fix that they could do that they haven't, Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it's a two game series, so it's an interesting experiment for them. You know, personally for me, I, I. I'll do my best to try to catch one of those games, or at least part of it, just to see what the atmosphere is like over there and uh, the scenery and and, and see how, you know, the the crowds are reacting to it. But as far as the sport is concerned, you know, I don't think this does anything for them. I don't know if it's going to necessarily give them a boost or produce this in the future. I mean, if you're going there with your two best teams or two best markets, what markets are to follow? Uh, I don't know what other markets besides L.A., would be appealing enough to go out to, you know, England to play. And then again, you're talking about the same issues we run into when we talk about the NFL games in Europe. And that's just, you know, 15 hours of travel time and five time zones and, and everything like that. So we'll see what happens. I don't know if it's
0: going to make a difference for them, though, to be honest. And 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 the point made on the Sports Business Podcast is have had these teams that have had Asian players, Japanese players, Korean players, the Hideki Matsui's, the Ichiro's, they've gone to Japan or South Korea to kick off um, the season, but it's been against nothing opponents. And they were taking away home games from nothing opponents. This is Yankee Red Sox, where they're taking away two games from the Red Sox at Fenway. Now, though, baseball is paying the Red Sox to do this. So the Red Sox are not going to lose money on this. But still, uh, this is a change to bring your your two biggest teams to a foreign country versus what they've done in the past, which is one big name team plus somebody else, the Rays, the A's, whoever, um, where it's not that big a deal. Last thing uh, before we let you go, as you look at the Women's World Cup in these quarterfinals or the Gold Cup or any other tournament you're watching, uh, what sticks out to you?
1: It's been, you mentioned at the beginning, it's been VAR. Um, you know, it's, I, I was telling you the other day, I've watched a lot more of the Women's World Cup than I have in the past, I and mean, I don't think I've watched a game where I've seen like one goal happen and then they just started off the play again. It's been every time a goal's been scored, uh, it's either gone to review or it's been reversed, or you know, sat there for five minutes and trying to figure out what the hell they're looking at, and it's just made it for a tough video, I mean, from watching experience, you mentioned uh, prior to the Women's World Cup going off that the women, the United States women were upset that if the final took place and they were in it, that the Gold Cup final would be at the same time. And I think my comment was, you know, for them not to worry about that is to take care of businesses to get there and then worry about it. And then, you know, they'll let their performance speak for itself. I unfortunately do not foresee this becoming an issue. I do not think that VAR would be my biggest gripe with what was happening. I think that if there's one thing that's taken away from the viewing experience, it's been that. It's that these video reviews every single time a goal is scored. we got to go back and check the video and make sure that this person wasn't offside, make sure that this, this happened, that the, you know, the X, Y, and Z player wasn't pulled down. And it's become really difficult to watch. And it's unfortunate because I think some of the games have been really, really good. You know, some of the stats have been spewing off during the broadcast. You know, like countries like Brazil and Italy, you know, have had record numbers of people watching the games. And unfortunately, some, a lot of these games though, have had a lot of issues with, with the video uh, review
0: system. Uh, on a separate topic than VAR. Go to Grant Wall's Twitter feed, folks, and watch his video from either yesterday or the day before about viewership and pay for the women. To your point, he goes through all these countries that have seen records um, uh, ratings-wise and viewership-wise be broken in this Women's World Cup. This is resonating around the world, which is awesome to see. Is there anything else you want to say before we let you go?
1: No, I think... uh, Despite my gripes with the, the video review system, I think Friday will be an exceptional game uh, between the U.S. and France. It's going to be a game I think comes a little bit too early uh, in the tournament. This will be a great semifinal game or a great final. Um, it's always interesting when you go up against a host country. Uh, funny things happen. Performances are, are, are different based off of that. I think the U.S. women are going to be facing a lot of adversity. I wouldn't be surprised if they go down early um, and have to fight their way back. I think it's going to be a great game, though. I think if you're casually watching this World Cup and you want to be able to watch a good game, this is the game to tune into. we got two of the favorites going off, and I think we're going to see – uh, one of the best games of the Women's World Cup this year and go off on Friday. So if you have an opportunity
0: to watch, I definitely would uh, tune in. It shall be interesting to see how it plays out. Danny Flecker, thank you as always for joining us on Teeing It Up.
1: No problem, man. Have a good night.
0: And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Showing.